Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Rapold. So, it turns out I have one more episode of Sundance Films to share. This time I was joined by Jessica Green, Artistic Director of the Houston Cinema Arts Society. Jessica came on toward the end of the festival to talk about Miha, The Exiles, God's Country, Framing Agnes, and other thought-provoking movies from this year's edition. Hello, Jessica. Hi. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be back on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is a, it's a long time in coming, but I'm, I'm very, very happy. Um, and you've been watching a whole bunch of films, I'm sure. And this is both just to watch movies and keep up with things, but and then also for, for programming purposes, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Programming for the you know, Houston Center Arts Society and independent programming projects. And yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's dive right into it because uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that you've seen a number of movies that I have not. And I think for you, a big highlight is Miha. Yes, Miha, which is in the next section. And it's from um, director Isabel Castro, who's apparently you know done a lot of journalism work around immigration and has come forth with this incredible nonfiction film, but I would say one that has, you know, an incredible level of hybridity is, you know, very fluid in terms of its fiction and nonfiction language. Along these lines, it's the first film to come along that's gotten me this excited since Garrett Bradley's time, which is high praise Mm. because that's other. And I think these are films that are pushing the genre forward. I started out, well, not started out, like kind of mid-career. I was lucky enough to work for Albert Maisel's for a few years. I, you know, I thought of him, he would have adored this film. Um, He really would have. It follows um, Doris Munez, who's 26 and has become a successful music manager, already making like six figures, you know, at the tender age of 26. She has kind of discovered and launched this artist who's kind of blown up named Kuko, who is a pop star that a lot of young people like Doris, you know, and Kuko, a lot of young people that are Latinx and kids of um, undocumented parents and, you know, various, you know, young people within the Latinx um, diverse community are into and follow and see themselves in. And then Doris also ends up managing this other artist, another Latinx artist, also the child of undocumented immigrants, Jax Hopf. And it's just really special. And, and like I said, I mean, technically, there's a lot of really, really interesting, innovative film technique that's going on and really blurring the lines of fiction and nonfiction. There's a lot of really interesting voiceover work from the main character where she is, you know, kind of very fleetingly kind of narrating her own life and really providing, you know, kind of additional context that's uh, really special. It's also just like falls into this category, you know, kind of like time, kind of like, you know, a lot of, you know, I've been thinking about this, you know, over the years a lot around these incredible documentary characters that I feel like are like the real movie stars. Like Doris is just this incredible figure and movie star. There's this scene in the film where she takes her new client to LA for business meetings. She's, she's living in LA. She's living outside of LA. Um, the second client, Jax, that she picks up is um, in Texas and she comes out to LA and she has business meetings and that launches, you know, her career. And there's mm-hmm. a scene where they're in a convertible car and Doris has like a scarf around her head, a la Marilyn Monroe, and Jax is kind of waving her head in the back. And it's just this classic Hollywood 
cinema moment. And there's so mm. much subtext around reimagining who this language is for, who these visuals are for, who embodies mm -hmm. them, and then just, you know, locating this glamour and this grit and this heroicism in this young woman, Doris. And, and also just, frankly, educating folks, I think, like myself, that are maybe not as literate about the experience of being a, the child of undocumented parents, for instance, you know, and this is a reality, like a lot of people are experiencing and a lot of, the, you know, characters in this documentary, whereas like, on your 25th birthday, you can then start the process of working on, you know, legal citizenship for your parents mm. and take on those costs, take on that journey, take on that responsibility, which is an incredible responsibility yeah. for anybody. Yeah. And so, and this film, like many great documentaries, does a great job of, you know, sharing these kind of macro realities and experiences, you know, through this just really, you know, micro um, story and narrative, really focused, really personal story, really heroic story, but grounded and real and kind of up and down. And it's just, yeah, it's just really special. And I just really loved it. And I, I kind of can't say enough about it. Miha, I think yeah. it's just really special film, really exciting. Yeah, I, I like that it's focused on Doris as a music manager, as opposed to maybe like the what would be the more you know marketable obvious choice of focusing on one of the singers for example totally yeah no it is i mean my only yeah my only and it's not really like a quibble with the film but i thought it could i mean this whole idea of like kind of like how their parents are going to accept right these choices mm -hmm. is really explored and like doris is kind of a guide you know and kind of is very clear about like look you have to show that this is sustainable you have to show that you can actually support yourself doing this. And once you do that, like your parents will come around, they will, you know, buy in. But I think, yeah, she's in the role of kind of like the entrepreneurial business head. And I think in some ways her mm -hmm. role is actually easier for immigrant parents to kind of accept because it's in some ways mm -hmm. not as vulnerable as the artist. So that's sort of interesting, you know, and yeah, that right. it is, exp it is portraying this like money person, this business manager, this person who is, you know, hard nosed, but has like, these incredible values and ethics and is just guided by a vision, a really strong vision of representation. Um, and, and representation mm -hmm. is very, very focused kind of way and niche way. And, and the music and also like the artists are really, yeah, it's really fascinating that they're not, because they're really good also. And so it's like really interesting because oh, cool. they're not the focus, but there is some music in it and they're amazing. And there's so many points of entry in this film. There's so many ways to connect to Doris. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a business person, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter, right? As an immigrant, you know, all, there are all these kind of layers to who she is. So yeah, it's great. Did I read right? Is this a first feature documentary yes. feature? Yes, it is. Yeah, right. yeah. And the director, yeah. I mean, I think their their my understanding is their primary background is as a journalist. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's Isabel Castro, Miha. There were a couple of uh, groupings of movies that you pointed out. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, it might be interesting to kind of group Alice and Master and God's Country together. Let's start with Alice. Um, mm -hmm. Alice is from the director Kristen Verlinden, who is a self-appointed prodigy of Quentin Tarantino. And that comes through in this film. It is, you know, very much a ode to Pam Greer pictures and black exploitation pictures, for sure. It stars um, Kiki Palmer and Common. And Kiki Palmer plays a woman who basically is um, kind of in a form of, I guess you could say, a kind of like, you know, white supremacist cult or something. She's 
been, and this is based on a, um, a true story. And I wasn't, I'm a little unclear on the actual, like factual inspiration and whether or not this goes back to a true story from the 1930s, which I, I find easier to believe, but hey, anything's possible mm-hmm. in America. Or it actually, you know, happened when the film was set in 73. Oh, okay. And this is a woman who was living essentially on a plantation, um, didn't know slavery had ended. A whole group of people, uh, African-Americans, were living on this plantation, either in the 1930s or in the 1970s, mm. that had, you know, massive anchorage, you know, acreage, obviously. It was a very large plantation. Um, maybe some people did know what was going on, and maybe some people didn't. That's a little unclear. But it is based on something that actually happened, and she oh. escapes this plantation in 1973, and you know links up platonically, pretty much. You know, I would add um, with Com- this character that Common plays, who's a kind of disgruntled, disengaged revolutionary, and then she, mm-hmm. you know, ends up kind of getting acclimated to what's going on in the world and finds inspiration in a lot of the kind of like media and ephemera she's exposed to a photo of like Diana Ross on the cover of Rolling Stone and kind of remakes herself in this, you know, kind of image of the times. And it, it allows for, which is some of the more interesting stuff, this kind of like everything is new again, kind of like you're looking at all of these, all of the music, all the culture, all the fashion. They even watch a Pam Grier movie together, you know, through these fresh mm-hmm. eyes, through her, for Alice's fresh eyes. And then, you know, I don't want to, you know, spoil anything, but you know, it's, it's, it is an ode to a black exploitation film, you know, and she is a prodigy of Quentin Tarantino. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's uh, some stuff happening. There's some action. There's some revenge, you know, and there's a little snap to the style. Or- yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I think there are things that are, you know, maybe uneven and unequal, but there's just like so much freaking talent just like bursting Mm. out of the screen, you know, from, you know, definitely the performers, the director, the production design, the costuming, everything. I mean, there's just, you know, and I just, I just want to see what everybody does next. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a fun movie. I think it'll find an audience. I think this is a movie that definitely has, you know, kind of popular and art house appeal and is very much kind of, you know, a bridge film between kind of like black flotation and kind of more populist kind of entertainment you know, if, you know, sweet back and, you know, coffee had a baby, you know, kind of, this is what would happen. So yeah, it's that kind of thing. That sounds pretty yeah. Appealing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then master that's from Mariama Diallo and that has been picked up by Amazon studios and Alice is picked up by vertical entertainment. Um, the one oh, I previously wow. mentioned and this uh, stars Regina Hall she plays um, Gail Bishop, who is a professor and a master of a red- residency at an old, you know, East Coast, um, very, very old East Coast, ar- older than Harvard um, University. It was actually filmed at Vassar, as many of these types of films are, apparently. And uh, there's a young freshman character who's also African-American, Jasmine Moore, played by Zoe Renee. And then there is a Black English teacher, Liv, played by Amber Gray, and this is another film, uh, Charlotte Hornsby is a cinematographer, and, you know, it's beautiful. The production design is incredible. It's uh, Meredith Lippincott and Tommy Love do the production design. It's another film, I mean, in the, and it's like, the first thing I will say about this is Gina Hall is a beast. She's incredible, and she's incredible in everything she does. And I think, you know, this is another film where it may be uneven at points. It may be trying to do too much. I'm not sure that's up for debate, 
but the talent is just bursting out. I want to know what everybody does next. And I think this mm. is as good an introduction to Regina Hall as any, as one of our, you know, great actors right now, for sure. Mm. And it just, you know, I think it's it's exploring, you know, terrain that is being explored in different places right now, obviously was explored by Get Out. And, and I say, and I group this stuff together, stuff like Get Out, stuff like Them, which was also, you know, kind of, you know, didn't sort of work in certain ways and um and then also Lovecraft the TV series Lovecraft Country in that these works that are really exploring the history of America and exploring race in America and not locating it in the you know the story of the dreaded South. Like really exploring these histories and the history of white supremacy outside of the South, which I think is really important and really amazing and really valuable. And there's kind of like this like I I don't think they really exist. This kind of like Amish Wiccan cult, you know. It just like this kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. like that kind of New England stuff that I think is really great, right? To explore because all of that intersects with the history of race in America too, of course, you know. So there's even like a fun sort of shout out to Scarlet Letter and um, one professor, you know, has their has students write like their asteroid papers about the Scarlet Letter, but like with a you know, critical race lens and that sort of satirized, um, you know, and so it's just exploring some different milieus around themes that I think, you know, historically in the past were more focused on what was happening in the South and kind of presenting the rest of the country as be- being like something else or being better somehow. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's not what this is about, you know. Like I said, there's a lot going on. It's a lot, but the metaphors and and the ideas that it's exploring and this basic idea of the inescapability, um, the kind of twilight zone inescapability of white supremacy, you know, especially when you kind of ascend to these kind of elite, you know, white only environments, quote unquote, ascend, right? That they play out in ways that are just like inescapable and pervasive. And, and it's using the horror genre to explore that idea. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's, and this is something that's happening right now. And I think it happens, you know, um, you know, sometimes more successfully than other times. But I think the kind of just unearthing of like American history that's happening is really exciting. And mm-hmm. I just want to kind of encourage that. And then the last one is very different, um, is also a genre film, but a different kind of genre film. This film, God's Country, from director Julian Higgins and co-writer Shay Ogbana. It stars Thandie Newton as Sandra. It's kind of a thriller. It's an interesting film. It's kind of a film where it's kind of a real politic film in a way. Nobody is at their best in this film. <laughs> and this film is really like nobody's at their best in this film. Um, and it really, you know, it sets up this lone black, you know, professor character against these, you know, this group of, I believe they're in Montana, you know, sort of kind of maybe, you know, make America great again, kind of dudes, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it's definitely kind of like, yeah, really goes there in terms of really, you know, nobody being at their best. And like, where this country is headed if we don't get our shit together? (laughs) It's unusual. And it's kind of unflinching. And it's kind of, critique of, you know, all the characters and presenting all the characters as fairly problematic. And then, you know, shout out to Thenny Newton, who's always incredible and just, yeah, I mean, embodies this complicated character, problematic character, um, but like, you know, makes them come alive and, and humanizes them as all great, you know, actors do. And yeah, it's an interesting little greedy, shaggy genre picture, I would say. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. For, for some reason, your description is making me think of the movie that was pulled like a year or two ago. It, came, it was going to come out in the fall and it was like the most dangerous game, but like sending like so-called, you know, li- liberal characters to uh, hunt like MAGA. No, hunts. totally. And actually I ended up like, <laughs> I think watching that movie on streaming. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. And like, cause that, I would, that movie though, is a satire. I mean, this is yes. this is more like Straw Dogs, you know. This is more oh, like Deliverance. Wow, okay. Yeah, this is like a okay. gritty little genre picture, and it's like I don't. Yeah, I'm like, is this a new genre? This kind of like I was like, what's the what are we like Dakota Gothic? Like I don't know what's like that movie with Angelie. <laughs> uh-huh. Remember with the she was the firefighter, <laughs> and then oh, there's right. some people that cross over in this film that are um, in that series, that Kevin Cosner series, like Yellowstone. And I think it's just uh-huh. like this is this kind of like out west thing that's happening right now. Where and I and I want to see you know where this goes too. Like I'm kind of thinking the next stage is like we're going to see films about this region that are really going to be from the Native American perspective, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, and that's like kind of the next natural way this is going to you know kind of evolve. But yeah, no, it's more it's it's not a satire. It's it's okay. more realist. Yeah, kind of yeah. realistic situation. I would say. So yeah, that's God's country. And then just because we we were talking a bit about uh, before we started recording about, I mean, just how the United States, the history of the United States is kind of, you can't find a lot of exact parallels in other countries, but you were mentioning one that does kind of fit and doesn't fit in interesting ways as well uh, in Brazil. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, there there's a, you know, I mean, I'll talk a little bit more about one than another, but there are a couple of films, Marte, um, Mars One and the territory. Um, and one is from a Brazilian director. And I don't believe the territory is from a Brazilian director. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of, you know, we talk about, you know, kind of the twin, you know, sin of, you know, genocide of indigenous peoples in the U.S. and then, you know, slavery and Brazil, you know, oh, you know, lucky us. We both really, you know, kind of um, share that. And of course it's complicated because, I mean, this is why we have like, you know, the best like music and cultures in the world, you know, I mean, not to be chauvinistic, but hey, there's something to that. So, you know, and just that long, you know, arm of yeah, the cultures of the descendants of the transatlantic slave trade, right, that exists both in the U.S. and Brazil, and the long, long arm and influence of indigenous cultures, and then the ongoing, like, battle, you know, for, for equality and, you know, not to, you know, continue to be murdered and for the not, you know, continued genocide to, like, continue. I mean, there's just so many parallels in terms of how strongly rooted both Brazil and U.S.'s histories are, you know, in in these stories. And yes, there are other countries that have, you know, the story of indigenous peoples and there are other countries that have the story of, of slavery, but there are few that, and until so recently, were nations of, of, of slavery. So, you yeah. know, with that in mind, um, one film is this film, Marte Um, um and it's from the writer-director Gabriel Martins, and he went to film school in his native Belo Horizonte, and um, he co-directed a film in the heart of the world that came out in 2019 that was also shot in Belo uh, Horizonte. And they are part of, along with some other filmmakers and producers, a Afro-Brazilian film collective um, that is mm. called Films de Plastico. <laughs> Uh, which is a great name for a film to collective. Yeah. yeah. And this is a, you know, film about a working class black family of four people that are just, you know, really trying to keep their spirits up and their dreams going in the months that follow the election of um, Bolsonaro. 
it's a really sweet film. You know, it's got, you know, some grit and hardship, but it's it's just very much about the love between these family members. And it's just, you know, by and large, a very focused character study, study of a family, um, study of family dynamics. And, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, spoil too much about it. And then the, the territory is, um, you know, very quickly, you know, really just, you know, deals with the battle between the ranchers and the indigenous people, you know, for the Amazon. Mm-hmm. And includes like a, um, there's one scene that includes a Bolsonaro rally that, you know, could have easily, you know, been a Trump rally. And what I like about it, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, I think it is on the side of the indigenous, but what is unusual about it is that I think it really, which is important for us to like, and I think this is where the parallel to the U.S., like the the ranchers are just as Brazilian and their attitude is just as Brazilian, you know, and their mm-hmm. attitude of like, this is here and we have our cattle and they need to eat and it's ours to take. And this is what, this is the history of people. And this is what you do and you produce and you make money and you mm. take, and this is what society is. And that's, you know, here too, right? And there's, right. you know, there's the everybody for themselves, you know, kind of approach that we're all acculturated to. And then there's the more, you know, cooperative um, approach in thinking. And I, I like the way this film makes it clear that each of these approaches are very much coming out of the culture. Um, and it is a battle between these approaches, you know, and I mean, and that's, you know, that's familiar here, that's familiar around the planet, you know, the kind of battle between these two approaches, every man for themselves, take what you can get, you know, cooperative, you know, kind of preservation oriented, you know, let's listen to indigenous cultures, let's learn from them. They've kind of been keeping this joint going for 50,000 years, you know, maybe they know something, you know, like that right. kind of approach. So I just always, you know, and I, and I think there are ways, I don't know why, but in some ways I, I think sometimes shout out to Brazil in their film, sometimes they seem to be a little bit further along in exploring these themes than we are in the U S. So it's always exciting Mm. to me to see what comes out of Brazil and it's exciting. These films are so different. So it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting all these, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of reckoning. There's a lot of reclaiming happening in these films. I think, you know, that's one thing I would say is like a through line, you know, which is really exciting to me, you know, about the Sundance lineup this year. And in terms of that reclamation, a lot of these films are just very layered because there's so much um, experience and literacy that the makers are bringing to these stories, right? You know, and their connections to these stories are so deep. The stories may be theirs, literally, you know, and like there's a lot of that across the spectrum. Of, of what's coming out this year at Sundance. And it's just, you know, it's exciting. And I just want to see what, what folks do next. But people and people that it's not about what they do next, it's about what they've done. So the next one I want to talk about is The Exiles um, yes. from first-time documentarians Ben Klein and Violet Columbus. Well, it is their first time, the people that made it. But it is a film on somebody who I have admired for so long. And I am just so yeah. happy to see her in the spotlight. And we're talking about the director, veteran director, Christine Choi, who arguably, you know, directed um, the film that, you know, many people consider the work that ignited the kind of um, Asian American, pan-Asian organizing movement in the U.S., this film, Mm. Who Can Vincent Chin, about a individual that was murdered in Detroit amidst a lot of anti-Asian sentiment in the 80s in Detroit when a lot of um, factory work was going to Japan in the Honda era. And it's, you know, just like a canonical semin- seminal film. And I'm just really mm-hmm. psyched that like she's the focus of this film. So this film covers her finishing her decade long work 
with Tiananmen Square survivors. And then, you know, picks up, it kind of shares uh, the 60 millimeter footage that she shot following Tiananmen Square when um, the dissidents came to the U.S. and then, um, you know, catches up with them, you know, now and they have not been able to go back. You know, they have not been able to see, you know, their families and uh, are in the U.S. or in Taiwan. And it's just, you know, an incredible story of their sacrifice and and what they participated in and what they what they were able to do and, you know, um, the price of that. And just, you know, and then the layers of, of Christine kind of engaging this back then and kind of, you know, self-admittedly not being, and she's she's half Korean, half Chinese, um, Christine Choi, and, you know, just kind of not connecting to their experiences and, and materials um, just because she wasn't there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then kind of revisiting it and connecting, you know, more now. And then the other film is Free Chol So Lee, and that's from uh, director Eugene and Julie Ha. This is about a Korean American man who was um, wrongly accused of of murder and then was freed about 10 years later, much due, much, much, much due to incredible organizing efforts from leaders in the Korean American community. So like in both of these films and, and these figures, Christine Choi and the Exiles and, um, you know, Chol So Lee, in these two films, you're getting an incredible download of um, Asian American history of the last, you know, 40 years and really key figures and key events and, and key inflection points for pan-Asian coming together and, you know, cross-cultural organizing. Um, and, you know, uh, the timing is perfect, right? Because here we are again. Uh, in a mm. period again of of violence against Asian Americans, you know, and this is, you know, I live in New York. I mean, this is very real. Yeah. It's it's happening. Yeah. You you know, right? We both do. Mm-hmm. So and you know, everywhere. So I think it's just this important reclaiming of this history, and um, and we need to understand these stories, and we need to understand we need to understand how history is repeating itself. And of course, there are all these ways that that's happening, but it's also just yeah. you know, these are these are also powerful and empowering films because they're they're really films about people standing up and movements being born and i you know i don't think this this history of asian american organizing is is you know modern current asian american organizing is known as well as it should be so i'm grateful that these films are centering these figures and these stories so yeah yeah you know watching who killed vincent chin which i did again in preparation to watch the exiles it just telescoped the whole the whole history and it's it's weird to watch something like that and have it feel at the same time so far away mm-hmm. uh, and also so close. Mm-hmm. That that could be Sundance twenty twenty two. So far away mm-hmm. and so close. I mean, that's so many of the films are mm-hmm. contending with this. You know, I mean, yeah. So many of the films are just like in this spirit of Sankofa, right? Um, yeah. And just you know, yeah. the the head faced back. You know, the bird's head faced backward and the feet faced forward. And yeah, and like Free Chol Soli, I mean, same thing. The, like, and the nuance that comes from that level of literacy and also like it being 40 years after Vincent Chin. So the filmmakers are bringing all of this nuance and they're really exploring the way like Chol Soli, you know, just like as an individual, how hard things were and how complicated they were because he was this, you know, symbol, you know, and was like held up as a symbol, but yet was really kind of like the street kid, you know, mm-hmm. and like got out of like, 
you know, and like didn't, you know, kill this guy and was falsely imprisoned and like went on death row and wasn't a murderer, but like was involved in like, you know, was like a bouncer at a strip club and like got a gun. You know, he was just like he was in the San Francisco Chinatown and he was Korean, by the way like kind of like street life world, you know, and then he went to prison and was like in this like Chicano street, you know, and it's so like, it's this really interesting American figure. And so then he's also like trying to just be this thing, right. For this community where there is all this like internalized model minority thing, like you have to go on the straight and narrow now, like we got you out of prison and you can't mess up and you got to do this. And like, there's so much nuance in how the story is being told because the filmmakers are bringing all that awareness, all that cultural understanding um, and then, you know, people yeah. see themselves in that, you know, based on, you know, that's a theme in so many cultures of just like, you're supposed to represent us. You're supposed to be, you know, doing the right thing. And I did think when I watched it, though, that like, and it, apparently it was, there was a previous like messed up and they have a clip from it, fiction film starring James Wood and Robert Johnny Jr. that like centers them in the story, <laughs> as opposed to the Korean uh-huh. American activists, you know, like whatever movie of a different era. Right. But when I was yeah. watching this, I was like, I am so 90% sure that somebody is, you know, optioning the story for like a fiction because it's like, he spent all this time in prison and he got involved Mm -hmm. with like, you know, kind of like organizing in prison and, and like, and just this, the story, this American story of this, he'd spent the first 12 years in Korea being raised by his aunt and uncle. And then his mom brought him over and his mother became pregnant during the Korean war. So it's just also this incredible you know, that story of Korea and the U.S.'s relationship and the Korean War and its impact, and then the story of San Francisco in the 70s. And it's just like, yeah, it's just so American. But again, mm. through that nuance of really understanding these, um, and that was how people figured out that, like, he didn't, because, like, it was a it was a gangland Chinatown killing. And, like, people mm-hmm. in the community were like, no, somebody Chinese did this. <laughs> somebody Korean when you know what I mean? But it was like, and the people that ID'd him were, like, these three white guys. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's him. So it's, like, it's really, yeah, it's really deep. It's a really fascinating. I wasn't familiar with this. I mean, I know about Vincent Chin, but I did not know about Chol Soli. So I just feel that much yeah. more educated now also. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the exiles. One one other thing, just just to mention, just I was sort of ignorant about the extent of the cover up involved. Yeah. Specifically, the fact that described in this movie is that the bodies of those demonstrators that were killed by Chinese military were like just disappeared. Yep. I guess the word for it. Yep. So so there could be no count for yep. it. And this is a tactic that's used now. So there's just a, there's so much um, happening in, in totally in it intersects with our COVID era. I mean, that's an issue yeah. right now around around the pandemic. You know, like yeah. you know, if you don't acknowledge the numbers, it doesn't exist. Um, and then Christine, I mean, she's just she's a movie star, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish she could have made that movie. You know, when when she wanted to make it. I mean, my impression was that it kind of works because everything she has done, I think that really opened up the activists to wanting to revisit yeah. this with her and, and trusting her and trusting the new first time filmmakers, you know, and, and that she had, yeah. and that she shot this stuff on 16 millimeter and they could revisit, you know, their youth. I mean, this was 30 years ago. I mean, yeah, some of them were like 19. So yeah, it went incredible. from being young people yeah. to like Gen X middle-aged people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. I think, I don't know. I thought, I That's thought it true. worked um, with her in it. And I thought, they were kind of down in part because of her mm. and who she is. And that led them to trust the process, I believe. I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the exiles. And that we were also talking about free Chol So Lee. And I think there was one, uh, one more documentary that. 
Yeah. Well, I guess there's just like one, one more grouping, but one I really want to focus on and that's um, Ridesville, USA, Sierra Pettengill. And also I would, yeah, she also um, directed a short that was in the Houston Cinema Arts Society's, uh, Houston Cinema Arts Festival's competition, Borders No Borders for films from Texas or the states bordering them or having you know, close ties to the states bordering them, this film, The Rifleman, about this key figure in the evolution of the NRA, um, Harlan mm. Carter. That's a great film. And she's, it's really a, yeah, film. yeah. Um, so, you know, shout out to Sierra. And we were so excited to um, have her short film in our competition in the 2021 festival. And it, it got a, you know, um, juror's notice, blah, blah, blah. But this new film, Ridesville USA, is another amazing feat of archival witchery, mastery, and really kind of centers around this um, training ground that the military set up, um, literally called Ridesville, mm-hmm. in the mid-60s to train people how to you know, uh, deal with riots. So it, it has just this incredible um, footage that was shot by the US military for training purposes. And it intersperses that with a lot of news footage from various riots and and civil unrest, you know, during the period throughout the country, prior to King's assassination, after King's assassination. And yeah, and kind of, you know, posits this idea that, you know, we're kind of all in Riotsville now, and every city is Riotsville now, um, which we have seen, you know, bear out to a certain extent. But yeah, yeah. just some narration, no talking heads, um, in, you know, falls into an amazing tradition of archival documentaries and did you see it i did yeah, yeah and I, I i liked it um it's one of those things where if you didn't see the footage you you couldn't believe this sort of thing existed like mm. an, an, an actual just like practice ground mm-hmm. like, <laughs> for practicing riot control i mean obviously it must exist but just to actually see it and so vividly uh, was kind of amazing. Uh, there'd be interesting, like small series of like movies that are about these kind of like s- simulated settings. You know, I kind of think of uh, Wiseman's Maneuver mm-hmm. uh, with the war games in in, uh, in in Central Europe, and and I remember writing about a documentary called Full Battle Rattle, mm-hmm. like, which was training troops for going into you know Iraqi towns and villages. So of course, all of these you know, in, in what they imagine and what they, they, they anticipate, like obviously says volumes. No, totally. Yeah. And then there's that, um, what's the fiction, the seventies fiction film? Punishment Park. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting thinking about, yeah, like films about the simulation, but also like, I mean, I just read this thing that like 70% of the music right now is old music. <laughs> like only 30% of the music that people are buying is like new music. And I think also huh. just in terms of this film, you know, and what Sierra is doing and this discipline and these filmmakers, you know, and like the film, like let the fire burn right about the move, you know, of these like mm-hmm. archival, I think it's really interesting, right. Cause we're at this point now where we have like a century of film and video and, you know, all we have all of this, media and all of this content and i think you know more and more it it is like really interesting to think about like it's about you know like how we work with what we have and mm-hmm. how we revisit this incredible glut of material mm-hmm. you know that's just yeah. so vast and i really love these films that you know don't these pure archival films that don't have interviews that don't have talking heads and i think it just you know, it just speaks to the media moment we're in and just how much, you know, that we're a century into this now. So, and we just have so much to work with. And 
Um, yeah, it's a great yeah. genre. I love it. And I think it's, you know, really exciting. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, this isn't quite in this genre, but it kind of came to mind in, in some things we were talking about earlier. And I, this is not Sundance, but I'm just kind of curious because I feel like it's something that sort of came and went. But were you, what did you think of this, the uh, series uh, Exterminate All the Brutes? Just in terms of, because you're talking about going over the kind of media library that we've, we've amassed as, as a collective society. This is one where I felt it, it did a pretty good job of like, you know, reevaluating and re-centering history. He's definitely not playing around. Um, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I thought, shout out to Josh Harnett, who I think gave a really interesting performance yes. and maybe is not getting enough credit or notice for that. Yeah, I don't, you true. know, think that's so easy to do what he did. And mm-hmm. I get, you know, the critique that he's kind of playing the same guy over and over again, but maybe that was the point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it I thought it was good. And um, I thought it was a real culmination of what Raul Peck has been doing his whole career. I mean, I just thought it was kind of a masterwork for him. Mm-hmm. And um and 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 I saw some, you know, some similarities to um I'm not your Negro, right? In terms of this kind yeah. of um, kind of accessible film essay style, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, kind of. But yeah, I thought it. Why? What did you think? I thought it was interesting. I definitely liked it. I, and he does some close readings of like you know archival clips that are kind of interesting. No, yeah, the close readings of archival clips are really interesting. And I mean, yeah, shout out for HBO to just like letting him do what he wanted to do know, and right? just kind of giving it carte blanche. He deserves it. He's a he's a genius. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's very unflinching. I think that's the kind of thing that. As is the case with many things and not, you know, not, and it's the case with many of these films in Sundance. I think it's also, you know, potentially a tool for young people, you know, with some guidance and with some, because mm-hmm. it's pretty rough, you know, and I think, yeah. um, you know, with some like support and guidance and context, um, it's, it's a great tool for young people. Yeah, yeah. I think we've gone through, actually, I was about to say we had gone through the movies we, we had plan, planned to go through, but there was one other documentary. I don't know if you want to say a few words about uh, framing Agnes. Yeah, Framing Agnes. Um, that is a really interesting film. It's from Chase Joint. Um, it's an experimental documentary. And uh, Chase Joint had previously made a documentary about the trans musician, historic trans musician, Billy Tipton. And Framing Agnes um, employs current trans, I would say, you know, public figures to reenact and portray um, historic trans figures that were part of this UCLA clinic in the 1950s for trans people and to, you know, kind of reenact and and share their stories. But then these stories are just, yeah, I mean, that film is just kind of, what a tool. I mean, it's such a, because there there are also some trans Mm. historians in it that are providing further contacts. And it's just, got this really, really incredible, I would say, like intersectional analysis of these transcripts, these documents, and and really breaks them apart and deconstructs them and um, really kind of clarifies, you know, who the voices that were sharing their stories were, who the, they were sharing their stories with, and the limitations of what they could share. And I just found it so powerful that current activists and artists and thinkers and historians were engaging and framing all this history for us. And then to have this trans filmmaker, Chase Joint, kind of put it all together. And I just, you know, again, found it really layered, really educational, powerful. And yeah, and I'm just excited to see what Chase does next. And I just think, you know, there's just people are really 
you know, telling their stories, you know, some more effectively than others, but I really want to see where a lot of these filmmakers go. And I think it's just really important to support them and that, you know, for these filmmakers to make second films and to make third Mm -hmm. films and to make fourth films. Yeah, no, I've often been curious to kind of go back to, I mean, I'm not like targeting targeting Sundance, but just out of curiosity, go back to like a Sundance 2012 or something and, and see where the, the debut feature filmmakers there, where they are now. And cause that, yeah, that can be the hard, that's the, can be the hard, hard part. Yes. It? It's really, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. But on the yeah. flip side, right on the plus side, right. The time just ran this piece, you know, it's, it's the 30th anniversary of the queering the cinema panel. So mm-hmm. here we are and we mm-hmm. are seeing, sure. you know, some yeah. fruits of that labor and the expansion mm-hmm. of that lens, you know, for sure. 30 yeah. years later. Um, so that's exciting for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for coming on and talking about these. And I guess you're going to go right back to the. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I have, I have like, yeah, the five or six left that I need to watch. I'm kind of on my schedule, but thanks, Nick. This was fun. And yeah. And like the last thing I would say is like, yeah, to your point, you know, let's, um, let's seek out these films. Let's seek out these filmmakers. Let's support them. There really is this exciting wave of film work that's happening. And the best way to ensure that that folks are, you know, have a second and third film and fourth film is to support their work. Um, So I just want to encourage your audience to do that. And we're going to do that. And yeah, let's support these artists, man. There are just incredible stories being told right now. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. Please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening. Thank you.